0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 32 of Think Relevance, the podcast, uh, today's special mobile edition that I recorded with Stuart Sierra as we drove across Virginia together, so that was pretty fun. I uh, just got one thing I want to mention before we start the show, which is Closure Conj. That's coming up November 14th to 16th in Alexandria, Virginia. We're pretty excited about having that new venue, um, granddaddy of Closure Conferences, of course, so we're we're pretty thrilled that that is going to be happening. Um couple things are coming up soon, one of which is that registration is going to be opening up, may even be open by the time this episode goes up on the internet. You can check uh, closure-conj.org to see if that has happened yet. Um, The call for proposals will be open until June 7th, 2013, so um, if you want to submit a talk, make sure you get it in by then. Um, Another exciting news, we are going to be offering a bunch of training before the conference. We're going to be offering training on Datomic, Pedestal, and ClojureScript. Uh, So if you want to sign up for that, make sure you keep an eye on closure-conj.org to get your name in there early so you can get a spot. Um, I think that's it. Let's go ahead and go on to the episode, and uh, thanks for listening. We are in my car, uh, whose license plates, I might add, be closure, so I think that's appropriate, especially given who I'm here with today. I am here with Stuart Sierra. Welcome to the show, Stuart, again. Thank you. Um, So, uh, (laughs) I recorded an episode recently where I actually forgot to ask the guest uh, about the intro music. I'm not going to forget this time. Oh, no. You know that that we ask the guest to pick the intro music, so uh, what would you like us to play? Let's... Try something else out on a limb here
1: and have uh, High Ideals
0: by Elbow. Elbow? Elbow. Uh, okay, awesome. I mean, the people that are listening could hear that music. I don't know it and I haven't spliced it in yet, so what what is, what is an Elbow? Uh, elbow is uh, the
1: unfortunately named uh, uh, British rock band sort of uh, prog rock I guess you'd call it Uh, they're very popular in the UK right now
0: cool I love progressive music Um, All right, great so um, the reason I wanted to have you on today has to do with the fact that you and I have been for the last I don't know I guess three months now working together pretty closely on uh, an interesting project that maybe one day we'll be able to talk about Um, yes it's a customer so we can't go into details but but there's a an aspect to Way that we've been working, that I think is really interesting, and that I know that you've been thinking about a lot. Um, and I thought, um, like, that we could talk about it a little bit. The thing I'm talking about is built on a little bit. Um, one of the things that we talked about last time you're on the show: uh, closure tools, namespace. Yes. So you you have set up our project. Um, maybe the best thing to do is let you explain it. Like, okay. You have this. You have this kind of technique.
1: Yeah. Uh, so this is a workflow that uh, I've developed for working on closure projects a bit at a time over the past uh, couple of years. Um, and I'm still perfecting it. I'm still finding ways to improve it. But I definitely like it. I use it on almost every project I work on. Um, and it's built around uh, Tools Namespace, uh, which is a library that I wrote that uh, is basically a tool for reloading code. It will uh, let you run a command at the REPL that looks at all the files in your source code on disk, sees which ones have changed, and then based on the dependency relationships among the namespaces in those files, it will reload them all in the correct order. Um, So that was the first piece that I needed. my overall goal with uh, with that uh, was to be able to work at the REPL without restarting the process. So without restarting the JVM uh, frequently, I wanted to be able to reload my application code and
0: actually know that I was reloading the right things at the right time. So actually, I want to stop you yeah. there because, the, the, I mean... Um there is a tech, a mechanism for, for reloading code. There's several, right? So maybe you could run us through those and why none of them are adequate to develop the way that you wanted to. Yeah, sure. Um,
1: so, I mean, there are a bunch of ways, uh, you know, if you're using an editor or an IDE, uh, there might be commands to like reevaluate a file. Um, If you're working just at the REPL, you can call require or use, passing it one of the reload or reload all flags. Um, But all of those uh, mechanisms do not take dependencies between files into account. So it's very easy to get yourself into situations where you change one file and there is a cascade of effects on the code in other files. Um, Some examples of that could be uh, redefining protocols or data types, redefining macros. um, Pretty much any, uh, any place where the code in one file depends on the code in another file. If you don't reload
0: all of them, in the correct order, uh, you can get unpredictable results. Right, right. So the the thing I was thinking, you know, before you showed me this was, well, there's just you just require reload all, which right. will reload an assembly. Uh, an assembly. Wow, that's my <laughs> .NET day is coming back to me. Or a namespace and all the things that it depends on. Right. But won't reload anything that depends on it. Correct. correct. Which is the thing that you're hoping to which, solve.
1: Yeah. Which tools namespace will do. Um. So uh, I spent six months to a year just working on that problem, which was pretty complicated. There's a fair amount of work in uh, figuring out how to do that correctly. Uh, And I'm pretty happy with where it's at now. Um, But that doesn't uh, solve the whole problem, which is how do you actually work with an application at the REPL, reloading code in a way that makes sense. Basically, how do you do this without breaking your application? Um, So, I've come to a style, I guess you'd call it, in which I can do, I can basically design an application in such a way that it can easily be reloaded. Right. Um, and and that's, that's kind of the basis of the technique, and it has a bunch of implications if you want to do that. Um, the biggest one, I think, being that you can't have any global state. So you can't just say, I'm going to def a var, and the value of that var, or the state of that var, is going to be an atom or a ref, and I'm going to put my application's mutable state in that ref. Uh, you can't do that, because as soon as you reload that namespace, it's going to destroy that var, create a new one, which is empty, and now
0: you've lost all your application state. Right, so the the object might still exist with the state in it, Yeah. but you have no way to get you at it. You no, have no way to get to it. You've, you've lost the reference, essentially. Um... And this is a consequence of when you walk up and say closure tools namespace REPL refresh, refresh. Yep. that it's gonna go ahead and, and actually get rid of all the of all the names. You're actually gonna unload the namespaces yep. that are anywhere downstream of any namespace that has changed. Or upstream. Or upright, upstream or downstream. Anywhere well, in that in the dependency yep. graph that matters, right? Yeah not really upstream I guess. So right, but you know what I mean. Yes, right. <laughs> anything anything that it would impact right. is
1: reloaded. Yeah. Right. Um, and that and there's the reason it does that, uh, again, is that the standard way of reloading code where you just do require, reload all, um, it reevaluates those files, but it doesn't get rid of whatever was already loaded in those namespaces yep. before. So it's very easy to get into a state where you deleted a piece of code and then you reload and it, your app keeps working because the thing you deleted is actually still in memory. And then you come back the next day, you restart your Repl
0: uh, fresh, and all of a sudden your code doesn't work anymore. Right. Because it depended on the thing you deleted. Right. You were calling foo from some other namespace. You go to other namespace. You delete foo. You forget to change the call. Yep. And it can the other the, the original namespace can still call foo because yep. you haven't gotten rid of it. Yep. Right. Um, so that's why tools namespace
1: uh, actually deletes the whole namespace uh, before it reloads. Now you can still get into trouble, you can still have objects that you have references to somewhere uh, that were part of the code that you've deleted. Um, so it's, it's not perfect, um, it's not, I'm not trying to do anything like walk through the pointers of every object in your program. That would be, you know, huge crazy
0: VM type feature. But this but the thing you're doing here, you're you're not trying to create a framework for an application at at runtime, right? You're you're trying to create a technique that developers can use at the REPL exactly. when they're building an app. And it's yeah. and at runtime, like when you deploy the app, this stuff Pretty much disappears, right? Like yeah. it's not being used. Yeah, I would. I, I don't use this at runtime, and I wouldn't really recommend
1: trying. Um, it's
0: it's it's strictly a, a development tool. So walk me through a little bit how, like, so I'm starting a new project. I say mm-hmm. line new, you know, whatever. Yep. And then what? Like, how do I go from there? So what I do.
1: Um, is a couple of things. In a new project, I immediately edit the project CLJ file and add a profile. Uh, profiles is a new feature that was, uh, I think, introduced in Linegan 2 that basically allows you to specify extra keys in your project configuration that let you swap in different.
0: Uh, different configurations when you when you launch a process. So you, so you can kind of chunk up your project CLJ yep. and say this part applies right now, but not this part. Yeah. So what I do is I create a profile called dev that
1: has everything in it that I want for uh, development. Uh, this actually replaces uh, in line again one... There was a key called dev dependencies, right? Dependencies that you only wanted for, you know, developing at the REPL. Uh, and the
0: profiles is what replaces that. And that that lets you that lets you do everything, not just dependencies. Exactly, everything, not just dependencies.
1: So then, in the dev profile, um, I'll add a bunch of dependencies that I only want at development time. I'll add tools namespace. Uh, I'll usually add. Um, Java class path, that's another contrib library. Um, I'll add some profiling tools like Criterium.
0: Um, we've done simulation
1: testing. Yeah, stuff we've done and, yep. testing. I'll, anything related to testing will go there. Um, really, pretty much everything that's not uh, directly necessary for the production deployment of the application um, will go there in the dev. Uh, profile dependencies. So there's that, and the other thing I add to the dev profile is an additional source directory. Um, Linegan lets you specify the directories where your source code lives, and profiles can also specify directories, and those are additive. So if the default directory is source, src, in your project, Uh, I can put another directory in the source paths of my dev profile and call it dev. Um, So that's basically another directory tree of files that will be on the class path of the application only when I'm developing at the REPL. Um, So I could put anything there, I could put tests or convenience code
0: for developing whatever I wanted. And that's just a directory tree that would have, that would look exactly the same as source. So you yep. could have a namespace. If you had some closure namespace called foo.bar.quux, there would be a quux.clj in a directory bar in a directory foo under that dev Under that dev directory. directory. Yeah, yep. okay. Um,
1: and of course, you could call it whatever you want. I call it dev. Right. Um, so then the next thing I do is in that uh, dev directory at the top level I create a file user.clj and this is uh, actually the user namespace, the default namespace that Clojure always starts in when you run a REPL Uh, and in there I put an ordinary uh, it's just an ordinary source file I put a namespace declaration ns user. Uh, and require uh, a bunch of libraries and utilities that I want to have loaded in the REPL when I start it. Um, there are other ways you can do that. Um, Line has an option called, uh, what is it, REPL init options or something. Um, but uh, since I mostly work via nREPL in Emacs, none of those options actually apply. So, I create my own user namespace and
0: I can both require things in it and also define things in there. So, you would put in there, for example, you might put like, um, uh, let's see what's a good example. You might say, you know, NS user require. Um, well, so uh, I can give you the list. Sure. There's yeah. a bunch of things that I always put in there. I always put um, closure.repl. That's a namespace that's right, so you included get... with closure. Right so um, when the REPL comes up now you suddenly have what I think everybody wants which is doc yeah, I have works doc, without having to say you know closure dot slash doc, right, doc exactly AM. so I you know I, I refer all from
1: closure REPL uh closure pprint for pretty print um and and all of my development utilities so uh my profiler my um any testing or debugging tools I might refer, probably with an alias. And then I'll usually refer some other convenient stuff that I know I'm probably gonna use at some point, like Clojure Java IO, maybe Clojure String, things that you know I would commonly be typing
0: to load at the REPL
1: when I'm working anyway.
0: So the, I mean the obvious implication here is that when you're working at the REPL, you are working in the user namespace. Like, you are working, uh, you, yeah, I work in the user namespace. Right, and so it's common for people, I think one common workflow is people will switch in and out of namespaces that yep. they're doing work in, but you wouldn't do that. You would stay in the user namespace and if you needed to work with functions from some namespace in the project you were developing, yep. you would either put a require as or maybe even refer in yep. so that you can just type those invocations yep that's on, exactly what I do right and then and then of course you, as you said you've got right. well actually this is the part I think you're going to talk about next which is you know as you're so now you've got this set up initially. so i got this set up yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and I do occasionally switch namespaces um, if, if I want to you know do a bunch of stuff in one particular namespace but usually I stay at the user uh, in the user namespace when I'm at the rebel all the time okay Um. so All of this is basically preparing my development environment, creating the, uh, creating the REPL environment that I want to work in. Uh, Then I start actually uh, working on the application. And as I said, I try to design uh, the code for the application in such a way that I can always safely reload it. What that ends up, Meaning is that I design my application so that I can construct an instance of it, mm. and then ha- and then you know get that some sort of object representing the application. Usually, it's just a map or a record. And I've seen you call that system. Yeah, I call that system usually. Um. And so then what that allows me to do is to write separate functions that will create, uh, initialize, and also tear down the application. So the next thing I do is write uh, usually two or three functions that I put directly in the username space called init, go, stop, and reset. And those four functions are responsible for managing, creating, and destroying the application for development purposes. Those never get used in production. They're not part of the deployed application but they're utilities uh, for me, for us, while we're developing the app. Okay, what do those do? So, uh, init is the first one. That will usually create a new instance of the application using some default set of parameters, which I might change from time to time, depending on how we're, what we're developing. Um... It will create an instance of the application and then set it to a global var in the username space. So, so you, I usually have some var called system that represent in the username space that represents the current system we're
0: working on. So you, but you said a minute ago that you you don't keep state in global vars. I do. That is the one exception to that rule. Okay.
1: Is uh, and again, it's only. I only use it during development. So right. as a development tool, you know, I wouldn't, I don't necessarily have to do that. Um, but it's a lot more convenient so that I don't have to retype the same name everywhere when I want to call some function in the application. I can have that be a global, and then all of my utility functions in the username space will refer to that var. Let me
0: let me go back and clarify that a little bit for ask okay. you to clarify rather okay. that a little bit further. Which um, so. You would have this var called system, yep. and a knit would poke into system yep. some, you know, uh, configured version of the application. So you yep. might you might put like, um, for example, an object that represents the database in there yep. with with however it's set up, um, uh, or or um, you know, connections to other resources or threads. Right. Yeah, right. I think
1: of it in terms. Um, I like to think of it in terms of components.
0: Uh, the system is.
1: Uh, a data structure, usually uh, a map or sometimes a record uh, which contains all of the components of the that make up the application and those are things like a database um, a web server, a thread pool a scheduler right. all of the sort of major areas of functionality that the application has
0: Okay, so that makes sense so that, yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you was So you said because I think there's a distinction here. You said that you would not typically keep state in you would not typically keep global state. Yeah. System is the one exception to that. Yep. But you're talking about um, at dev time, right? Because you would be perfectly fine with the production application um, when it you know when it comes up. Mm Defing vars to whatever. Like, you're not yep. opposed to, yeah. to def. It's just that you can't expect that you're going to make a change to the application, use the closure tools namespace stuff, and have any of your defs still have the same value that they had a minute ago. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: and frequently, uh, I do end up uh, using def or alter var root uh, in production because at that point, I know there's only one instance of the application. And there's only ever going to be one instance of the application. Okay. uh, Which is not true at development time. Okay. Um, So that sort of gets us through init. Yes, that gets us through init. Um, Then go is really simple. All that does is call whatever
0: function starts the application running. Right, so that might be... So like if I'm running a web application... And I have a, and I'm using embedded Jetty. That would be start Jetty. Start basically. Jetty. Okay. Um.
1: So then there's stop, which is also pretty simple. It just stops the application, whatever that means. Stop your web server, shut down your threads. Uh, and again, this is all operating just on one instance of the application. Um, so you're not going to call something like shut down agents, which has a global effect. Right. Um. And so you do have to make sure that any uh, process, like any kind of background thread or agent that you create in your application, somewhere you have a reference to that
0: from the system object so that you can shut it down when you want to. Right, and this and this is because of what I believe, if I'm anticipating correctly, mm-hmm. I believe this is because of what Reset does. This is because of what Reset does. So Reset...
1: Um, is essentially stop init reload sorry stop refresh init go right in that order it's actually a little bit more complicated than that because uh, very strange things happen when you reload code in while a function is executing right so tools namespace uh, has some clever tricks to to work around that um it's not complicated to use
0: Um, actually I want to stop you right there and ask you a question that I was going to ask you later because I think listeners might be wondering which is, is there any place any public, we use this on projects is there any public repo where people can go, I I know of one but I'm wondering if there's a good place in your opinion that people can go and see this approach that's a good question Um, well uh, can I talk about pedestal Uh, yeah, we can, because this is not in a hurry, so we can make sure that we release this after we talk about pedestal at Closure West, it'll just mean we have to hold the podcast until, until later. Okay, well I don't need to go into detail, I just need to say, like, when
1: we release uh, pedestal, uh, which will happen in just a few weeks at Closure West, um, you will probably see examples of this, uh, technique applied there. Okay. Uh, especially in, uh... Pretty much all of the uh,
0: server-side code for Pedestal. Okay, cool. So people, yeah, and I know people will want to look at that anyway because there's a ton of interesting stuff in there. All right, so cool. So I just I wanted to ask because you know, like that, I know that bit about how the you know the function changes and the way you use it. That's Mm -hmm. actually something that was I understood when I saw it. So that's good that people have a place where they can go and and look at some of this. Um, like, there's a lot of, uh, some of this stuff is documented in
1: the README for Tools namespace, which is where I developed uh, a lot of these uh, techniques. Um, you might see partial examples of it in some of my personal open source repos. I use
0: it in one of mine. Uh, if, okay. if people want to look at um, uh, github.com slash candera slash AWS stats, and we'll put the link in the note Yeah. that I use exactly this technique, and okay. it it's work, works well for me. Yeah. Uh, I think most of my, the
1: examples in my open source uh, repos won't be the full stack. They'll be different pieces of it sure. as I was working on it. Um, so yeah, reset. Um, the idea of reset is that it's one function, takes no arguments. You can call it the REPL, and it will cleanly shut down your application... Because you've designed your application to be able to do that, then it will reload all of the code that you might have changed. Tools namespace does that, and its dependencies, and its dependencies. Then it will reinitialize, basically create a new instance of your application and start it running again.
0: Yeah, and this is, and I mean, this is, this is really like the, the the loop at the heart of yeah. once you get set up. The way it works is you. You know, go to a go to a namespace, type type type, save, go to the REPL, reset, and in a matter of well, depending on what how the initialization yeah. goes, but typically very very quickly, you are back up. Yep. And things are now working with the new code. Yep. And uh, that's the part that I really love about this because the alternative is I mean, like we were what we were talking about, either you can remember to reevaluate the functions that you've changed or reload the namespace and hope that it picks up dependencies or Heaven forfend! Restart the REPL and yep. go go get coffee. Yep. Yeah, and
1: you know restarting the REPL isn't a big deal if you have three or four source files in your application. But we've worked on large applications uh, that have a bunch of source files and maybe a dozen libraries, and just loading all that code in the JVM can take fifteen seconds or more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's first world problem. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's you know still. Um, and it's uh, and, and that's what started me off on, on doing this whole thing was that uh, I was working on a project where our our cycle to you know see it, to see new changes in our code to see them in the running app was around thirty seconds, uh, which was a really annoying. Uh, a really annoying development
0: loop. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, this is the, again we've used this, and yeah. uh, I'd seen you do it before. Um, but the the project we're on now is the first time where I'd ever really use it, and it, it took me a little while to kind of grok it. But now, um, now that I understand the parts, there's not. I mean, I understand tools. Rebel tools, tools namespace is doing some complicated stuff. Yeah. but I never. There. Actually, I take it back. There are a couple times. Yeah. Or I have to worry about it. We'll get into those in a yeah. minute. But for the most part, it's really type, 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 save, reset, check yep. what happened. Type, 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 save, reset, check what happened. Yep. So let's let's actually talk about that now then. Because yeah. there are times where um, you have to drop at least a little, to a greater or lesser extent, you have yeah, to drop right. out of this nice loop. Yeah. One of them is, that I run into all the time is um, I made a change and I uh, typed reset. Yep, and the change I made was um, uh, invalid. Like it, yep. it results in a compilation error. So maybe yep. you can tell us what what people see when that happens and how they can fix it. So what you'll see uh, when that happens uh, when you run. Uh,
1: so we said our reset function is calling Closure Tools namespace REPL refresh, and when you call refresh, it. Uh, prints at the REPL what it's going to do, which namespaces it's going to reload. Uh, And if it hits an error, uh, if anything, loading any one of those namespaces uh, throws an exception, it will print it at the REPL and tell you which namespace caused the problem. Um, Which is already, in some sense, uh, more than
0: what require reload all will tell you. Yeah, it's actually really nice. It'll say... I was trying to load namespace foo, and I couldn't because of bar. Yeah. Right. So you know where the right yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um,
1: so you'll see. Okay, there was an error. You know, loading this namespace. You go look at that. You see, oh, you made a syntax error. You mistyped the name of a function. You fix that, and if you go back to your REPL and type reset, you'll see uh, cannot find reset. Right. And the reason for that is that your uh, user namespace hasn't been reloaded yet. Right. So in order to do loading in dependency order correctly, what Tools Namespace actually has to do is unload everything that is that has changed and then reload them all in order. So, if it gets halfway through that reloading process and hits an exception, it stops. And that means that your user namespace is basically empty. Because it's always at kind of the bottom right. of the dependency stack, right? Right, right. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. If you write your user namespace in such a way that it doesn't depend on anything in your application, then you wouldn't have that problem. But kind of the point. Well, kind of, of the, the point of it is to yeah. work with the application during exactly. development, so yeah. So so now you're kind of in a broken state where most of your namespaces are empty or missing. So in order to continue from that, what you have to do is call refresh again. We can't call the reset function because that doesn't exist right now, but refresh still exists in tools namespace. So you have to call that function by
0: its fully qualified name. Right, so you type out open paren dot tools namespace closure.tools.namespace.repl slash refresh yep. close paren. Yeah. exactly. After um,
1: you fix the problem. After you fix the problem, right. right. So um, the nice thing is that uh, Tools Namespace will remember what it did, and it will pick up trying to load where it left off. So at that point, if you fix the problem, you'll be able to load successfully, and then you'll be back at your username space with
0: everything ready, and you can type go to start your application. Yeah, in fact, I find myself forgetting about go sometimes, and yeah, I just, just type, type reset. reset. But well, as you said, because it remembers, it doesn't actually have to reload any code, and yep. that just winds up being a call to go. Yep. So, the, I mean, I, I think that's great, because it, it, it does make it um, easy, and yep. I use that word intentionally, mm-hmm. to remember what to do. Yeah, it, Just that one so, that, so that's one kind of um, place where you might get knocked out of the, the happy path. Yep. Um, the other one is that you do sometimes have to restart the REPL. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, generally, um, I find the, the times when I have to restart the REPL the most are when I am getting the structure of my application set up or adding a new component. Right. Um, So, the place you can really get into trouble um, is when you're creating or starting your application, something throws an exception, and so the application is in a half-started state, but because there was an exception, it never actually returned, so you don't even have a reference to it. So the most common way this this shows up is you're writing a web app, you try to start your application, it gets to the point of starting Jetty or Tomcat or whatever, but then throws an exception at some later point. Now, the web server's running, it's bound to a port, but you have no way of shutting it down. Right. And so the next time you try to go and restart it, you'll get exceptions that it can't bind to the port. Right. Um, and at that point, there's there's absolutely nothing you can do. You have to right. kill the process
0: and start over. So this actually is a good segue because um, we're using... And I think we've gone through all the major pieces now. Mm-hmm. We're, we're using the approach that you're talking about, and I find, I find it to be a productive... Because really what we're talking about here is productivity. There's mm-hmm. nothing that you can't do other ways that yeah. we've talked about yeah. this is really about developer productivity Yeah. Um, and we've used it and I have found it to be productive I like working this way it did take some getting used to but I like it the, the thing is though that, that problem that you're talking about is annoying mm-hmm. and I think you know we were talking a little teeny bit about this earlier today it sounds like you've been doing some work to actually um, to at least partially mm-hmm. solve that problem I wonder if you could talk about that I've been working on it I don't know that I've solved it yet um,
1: I have been, uh, working on sort of, uh, formalizing this technique into an actual framework, uh, which would basically be, uh, a way of writing components, writing software components, and programming to a specific interface for initializing starting and stopping components, and then having some library code that could, in a standard way, start a collection of components in the correct order and shut them down in the correct order, handling errors along the way in a manner that prevents you from not being able to clean them up when they fail. Right. Um, Like I said, I haven't... um, I haven't actually solved this yet, and I haven't released anything uh, in this direction uh, yet, but I've... I think I'm pretty close. Um, And uh, hopefully in the next uh, couple of weeks, I can take the approach I've been working on and try it out on some of the applications that, that we work on and see if it
0: works try to work out the remaining bugs and uh, then release it cool well maybe we'll uh, maybe you'll have that out before I get this podcast episode out So that would be awesome that'd be great so people can watch your GitHub account and we'll have a link to that yeah um, well dude this is awesome I'm, I'm really glad that we're getting a chance to share this with people because I think um, um, it's something that um, you know because one of the things that people have asked us about is for us to share more information about how we work on real systems. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, um, closure is growing and there's a lot of interest in it, which means that the community of enthusiasts, um, you know, is is substantial compared yeah. to the yeah. community of practitioners where that might, that, that might be less true for other languages. Right. And so there's a, a relatively high proportion of people who have only ever solved, like, problems that they're interested in and have never wanted to or had had to or had the time to um, go and like build a big system. Right, right. And so I think it's interesting to people to hear one of the ways that we approach it. And it's not the only way we do right. things. There's other other approaches as well, but uh, but I've been having fun with this one, so I really appreciate you taking the time to explain it to us. My pleasure. Uh, all right. Anything else? What did, I, what did I forget? Anything else before we go? Or is that covered uh... or... Come to Closure West. Uh, yes. I'll be talking
1: about, in general, Closure and larger
0: systems, uh, and of course, we'll be presenting Pedestal. Right, 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 right. I don't know if I'll get this out before Closure West, but uh, uh, hopefully people will have come to it. I suspect yes. they have their tickets already. Um, and you're doing the Closure Script training there as yes. well, right? Yes. Uh, Luke Vanderhart and I will be teaching a one day Closure Script course based on our book. Cool. All right. Well, uh, this has been awesome. I think. Uh, super awesome technical content which I always love to do Um, so uh, I guess we're to the point where I ask you to pick the outro music alright let's have a song from my favorite
1: band Eddie from Ohio Uh, it's appropriate actually they're from Virginia and we're
0: driving through Virginia right now Uh, let's have The Bridge so wait Eddie from Ohio is from Virginia.
1: Yeah, there, there's a story behind it, but
0: I don't actually know what it is. All right, well, that's coming up right now. and uh, We'll have a link so people can go off to go myself, figure out what that's all about. <laughs> but uh, thanks a ton for coming on the show, Stuart. Uh, thanks for uh, giving me a ride. All right, absolutely. Well, good to have you. And um, we'll, uh, we'll thank everyone for listening. This has been Think Relevance, the podcast. Now there's seaweed in my seaweed between my toes.
1: Splash. Now that I think about it, it was a pretty short ride. Sound like a cannonball, I think I gained some weight I dreamed off a bridge, cause someone told me to Just goes to show, don't let anyone tell you what to think or say or do Just goes to show, don't let anyone tell you what to think or say or do mm <laughs>